Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. And while you're here, go ahead and head over to our online platform, thelifeonline.cc, where you'll find content on all kinds of topics like forgiveness, healing, prophecy, faith, and so much more. So check it out at thelifeonline.cc and enjoy today's message. You know, one thing about our 1130 services that I would just uh, like so love seeing and just want to see more and more uh, is all of y'all getting to know each other. No matter what campus that you're at, taking the time to form connections, make associations, make some new friends, be around some old friends, come a little early, stay a little late. Because the beauty of church is not just what we receive from the, the service, but what we receive from each other. Uh, and I love the community that is forming at our 1130 services, and I want to encourage you to, to foster that in and with each other. And I also want to say, like what our campus pastors have said, thank you for giving the word of life. You know, it's a wonderful thing what happens when we give, what happens in the kingdom of God, what happens at our campuses. Um, like, I've just been blown away, honestly. Um, the last couple of weeks by looking at our campuses, what God's doing in Fondren, what God's doing at Highland Colony, what God's doing at Lakeland, our Poindexter campus will open. We just set a date. I'll, I'll tell you about that later in another service. Um, but our Poindexter campus that will open this year, our online campus, uh, we have other campuses in our hearts as well. Uh, but it's just amazing what God has done And it literally has been because of what God has done. And I know when we talk about giving, I always uh, tell our campus pastors and myself to focus on what your giving does for another, what it does for the kingdom, what it does for the church, and what it does for missionaries. Because the goal of giving really is to root out selfishness from your own heart and, and to instill a love for God and a love for one another. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, But when I've been sitting in service today, I I just feel really impressed to just also remind you what giving does for you. Um, A number of years ago, uh, when I was a young fella, I still am young, uh, but uh, when I was younger than I currently am right now, um, I didn't tithe. My father had passed away. I was working at a coffee shop. I was making a quarter above minimum wage. And I thought, I'm too broke to give. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way before. But genuinely, that was what I was leading with, is I I don't have enough money to give. And in my mind, I thought, if I had more money, then I'd have more money, and I would be rich, and I wouldn't be poor, and then I could give. So I'm thinking, like, my problem is the, the money that I don't have. And that money that I don't have is the thing that's keeping me from being well off. And what I saw in my life, and just let this kind of resonate in your heart, and I'll pause a little bit after I say it, but I realized in my life is it wasn't, that the, I, it wasn't the money that I did not have that was the reason why I was in my financial condition. It was the money that I did have that I shouldn't have because it belonged in the kingdom of God. Uh, All that you see here is beyond anything I could ever have imagined. Uh, We are not this talented. I am not this talented. Uh, This is a result of the goodness of God in the land of the living. Um, You have seen churches given to us, like literally 
given to us. Um, You go back, and if you could just see where I was 20 years ago and where we are now, uh, and to see the wonderful goodness of God um, in his hand financially even in our church and in our life, um, it is because of this principle of putting God first. And when we partner with God, while we partner with him, it's not like a lottery of like, I'm going to give God a quarter and he's going to give me a hundred. God's not a genie or a slot machine. And anything that targets your faith that way is wrong because that puts selfishness back in your heart. You're not giving because you love him. You're not giving because you love others. Why would you be giving in that case? Because you love you. And so because I love me, I will now give to God and be like, come on, three sevens. Uh, Pour out your blessing. Um, And it, it roots selfishness back in us. But when you have a heart that says, God, I know my desire is to be the greatest version of me in every way, including financially, so that I can be a blessing to your kingdom and establish it all over the earth, and you make a decision to partner with God, I'll put it to you this way. When you want what God wants, for the same reason he wants it, you become unstoppable. When you want what God wants, for the same reason he wants it, you become unstoppable. Um, And out of that, when you want what God wants financially for the same reason he wants it, it enables like his blessing to flood your life and to do for you financially in every other way, which you could never do for yourself. And that's one of the things that I I, I feel honestly inspired, because this is not my message, and my message is long today, like really long. Uh, So I I couldn't get it out in either one of the services so far, so why even try now? Uh, You know, we'll get to it, and we'll just pick up with it next week. But uh, one of the things I feel genuinely inspired by the Spirit to do in your life at the start of this year is to train you to put God first in every arena of your life. Like never before, there's more competing for our finances, attention, and time. And we have so many options now of where these things can go. Uh, But when God really is first, it blesses the rest because God still delights in sacrifice. In the Old Testament, he delighted and demanded. In the New Testament, he delights. Um, The demand was met in Jesus' sacrifice But yet you still see that we are called to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Why? For our own transformation. When you put God first, it enables God to begin to transform your life. It begins that sacrifice of drawing near to him, this sacrifice of putting him first, of of having less of you and more of him, you decreasing so that he may increase. When you do this, it paves the way for you to see in your life what God can do and not just what a really disciplined version of you can do. And our world, what they do at the start of a year is like, let me get a more disciplined version of me in the mix. And how well does that work for them? The Christian is not, let me get a more disciplined version of me. The Christian is, let me get a more submitted version of me to the Lord Jesus. And the more I come to him and his throne of grace, the more he pours out that grace in a time of need. Uh, But like we said at the start of the series, it's not me being more awesome. 
It is me yielding more of my life to the one who is awesome and watching his grace come in my life. He is the vine, we are the branch. If the branch stays connected to the vine, it will produce much fruit. Not because the branch is awesome, but because the vine has life in it. And that vine through that connection is producing what the branch never could produce without the connection with the vine. Um, and so in my life, it's, it's I'm focused on my connection with God in every way, financially, with my time, with my resources, with my thoughts, which is why I would encourage you even this year to put God first in every way, including your week. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here right now at our campuses. Um, but like even something as simple as, uh, you know, what our forefathers and, and grandmothers and mothers and all that used to do. But like, there's a reason why we do this on Sundays. Like the first belongs to God, period. The first belongs to God. And there is power in me saying like the first thing I'll do at the start of my week is bring my family to church. Like it matters. The first blesses the rest. Um, and out of that, to make church attendance a priority, uh, to get in as many meetings in church as we can, like the Lord really dealt with me. I'll just be honest with you. He dealt with me and he said, you're making church too convenient. And like we cut out services because we do a lot. Like we do a lot of Sunday morning services. Right now I preach on Sundays four times a day uh, and all those types of things. And so because it takes a lot out of me physically, uh, you kind of trim back what you're offering. And the Lord's like, nope. You need to get together more. And so we started Sunday night services. And now we do Sunday nights in Fondren. And now we're doing these prayer conferences. We got a prayer conference this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll see you Tuesday morning if you can make it, 9 a.m. I'll teach and we'll pray together. Like, but to create more venues uh, and to get together more. Why? There is power in sacrifice. God can change anything about you. All he needs is you to get time in his presence. You get time in the presence of God, you'll see God begin to change you. You will see God begin to open your life up. We don't need less time together. We need more time together in the presence of Jesus together because that's the other side of it too. God can do something in our midst corporately. He can never do in our presence individually. Like there is power when we gather together where two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst of them. Paul said that as you see the day of the Lord returning, like do not, he said this emphatically, do not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. In the book of Acts, you know when the walls shake? When they were together in one accord, nothing missing, nothing broken. Together, there is power in our fellowship together. But see, all of these things happen when we begin to put God first, put church first, put worship first, put these things first. When God is first, it blesses the rest. Everything after that is blessed. Everything after that has his grace upon it. Uh, when we come near to him, we receive grace in our time of need, which honestly, our time of need is when? All the time. Like, I, I need God to parent my children. I'm like, how are you already out of toilet paper? Like, what is going on? Like, all, all these types of things. I'm like, how'd you already eat that? Like, I need grace. To parent, I need grace to pastor. I need grace to preach. I need grace to preach again and again and again. I need grace. We need grace. Well, where does this grace come from? It comes from those who will humble themselves under his mighty hand and say, God, I know where it comes from. And it's not me being more awesome. It comes from your mighty hand. And so I'm going to take, my, my, take the time to humble myself under it. 
Amen. Uh, and so this year, I just want to encourage you, put God first, however you can, whatever comes to mind when I say that. And I promise you, you will be glad that you did. Not just you, but the generations who come after you, you will be glad that you did. Amen. Uh, so um, that's genuinely what this whole month is about, uh, how to change and this is the series we're in. How do I change? I know someone who needs to change. I know that person very well. I know that person intimately. It's me. Like, how, how, how do we change? Um, and we all want to be better. That's what so many of us are pursuing at the start of a year is embetterment. Um, I preached a message. It really resonated with a lot of people that I preached it to on a Sunday night service. But God came to Moses and said, you are more than what you're giving this world. You are more than what you are giving this world. You could put it this way. You're more than what you're giving your wife. You're more than what you're giving your husband. You're more than what you're giving your kids. You're more than what you're giving that business. And God comes to Moses and like wakes him up out of this malaise and appears to him in a burning bush. And he's like, wake up. You are more than a shepherd. Get your act together, basically. Like see what I've called you to be. And I think... Um, we all know that, that e even in times of prayer, like we know we could be giving each other more and our families more and things more. And so we go on this journey to change and we wonder how, like, how do I release that? How do I change? A number of years ago, I heard this uh, man of God who I had so much respect for and still do uh, make this statement. He, he was talking to pastors and he said, you will never see anybody in your congregation change until you change their environment, their association, and what influences them. You'll never have anybody change in your congregation. It doesn't matter how much you preach to them. They'll never change if you can't change these three things. Environment, what they're around, association, who they're around, and influence, what they put before their eyes and their ears. What impresses them. And he said, if you can't change these three things, you will never change somebody's life. So let's talk about them. Number one, environment. Environment. What do I mean when I say environment? Uh, this room, the rooms that all of us are in, has an environment. If you're watching at home right now, your room has an environment. When you get in your car, they all have environments. What you, what you see, what you listen to. Uh, the environment. If it's clean or if it's disorganized. Environment. Um, your apartment, when you go home, you open up the door, you're in an environment. When you go to the gym, different gyms have different environments. Different churches have different environments. Uh, environment is everything. It's underscored. Um, years ago, I walked into uh, one of my mentor's hotel rooms. We were staying at the hotel uh, together and overlooked this lake. And I walk in his room, uh, we were just talking, and uh, his desk faced the lake, faced the window. And I'm like, my desk doesn't do that. And he looked at me and said, neither did mine. <laughs> I'm like, my desk faces the wall. He's like, mine did too. Uh, he's like, I moved my desk. And he looked at me and he said, environment is everything. He's like, when I, I'm writing and I'm studying, I want to see the water. Uh, environment is everything. Jesus was a master of his environment. He made sure to be in gardens, in deserts, in mountains, by the sea. Jesus mastered his environments. Uh, when Jesus performed uh, some miracles, he would often change the environment before he worked the miracle. I, this is not even in my notes. I'm just thankful for the Holy Spirit right now. 
um, Jesus would change the environment. Um, in one case with Jairus' daughter, there were mourners in the room. Before he worked the miracle, he had to change the environment and get them out of the room. When he got them out of the room, that's when he worked the miracle. And the same is true with you. There's some stuff in your room that doesn't need to be in your room. There's some stuff in your car that doesn't need to be in your car. There's some stuff in your house. It doesn't need to be in your house. Um, there, there are things that you're around. They impact you. You have to guard your environment. Honestly, when I was writing this in my notes, I struggled with this point more than any other because with influence, Mark 4 is like a golden story for that. And with association, I preached on that for a long time. But I'm like, environment, Lord, you're gonna have to show me this. And the Lord really dealt with me in the book of Genesis. I'll put this up on the screen. Genesis 2 and verse 8. And the Lord planted a garden toward uh, the, uh, the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me um, when I was like studying for this. And he said, how much time did I spend making man versus how much time I spent making the environment man would live in? I spent more time on the environment than I did the man because I knew the environment would impact the man. When did man's life go off course? When something entered into the environment that God didn't create nor make nor design to be there. He told Adam specifically, I made the environment, you guard it and you keep it. And you know what Adam did? He allowed a snake to get in his environment and began talking to his wife Eve. And the subtle influence took their family, their marriage, and their lives off course. Why? Man did not guard his garden. And, and you have to make sure you guard your garden, that there are certain things that will not be in my house, certain things that will not be before my eyes and my ears, certain things that will not be in this car, certain things that will not be here. Why? Environment is everything. It is everything. Environment will take you higher or bring you lower. Um, I was uh, talking to uh, some of our staff. One of my big focuses right now is to target young adults, like, like people who are in that 18 to 28 range, 32, 18, like that kind of range. Because I'm very intentional, and I see that this age with media and whatnot has been more attacked than any generation that comes before it. Like there's so much coming at it. Uh, from all these different sides. And I see if we're not careful, uh, we'll lose a lot of people's faith um, that Satan comes through that. Remember what, 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 what God told uh, Jesus about Peter? He's like, Satan desires to sift you, but I have prayed that your faith fell not. That word faith is not like, I'm gonna believe God for a mountain to move. That word faith is like, I love and am devoted for the, to the Lord. And he was trying to sift that faith to get that faith out of God. Like there's not going to be the same love for God that once was there. Sift it. And out of that, I see that. In this generation that is, that is you know, after mine, I'm 39 years old. Uh, this generation that's coming after mine, like there's a sifting Satan's trying to do. And he needs people who will stand in the gap. And I've just made up my mind. I'm not letting Satan have the next generation. It's, it's not going to happen. We're going we're gonna to show them Jesus. We're going to show them the ways of the Lord. We're going to show them family. We're going to show them how to raise children. We're going to show them how to handle money. Uh, you know, all those types of things. And so anyway, we've been targeting that demographic. Uh, and it will grow in the name of Jesus. Uh, so out of that, uh, we had the opportunity to go to a local college here and do like a worship night. 
And, you know, if you've gone to any of our campuses, you know when we worship, we like to worship. Like, we want to notify our faces and our hands we love Jesus. Uh, and so, so out of that, it's like, I love the Lord. Well, notify your face. Like, let your, you're singing you love him. Let your face show it. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, you know, just worship the Lord and the freedom to worship and the intimacy of worship and an openness, an openness to the Lord, an openness to the Spirit. Uh, posture's not everything, but it is something. Uh, and so out of that, like, of course, when we worship, we're going to worship wherever we are, like we are. Uh, when we're there, we're all there. Um, and so out of that, they just were worshiping the Lord. And after the end of like the, the worship segments, like from 9 to 11 at this local college on their campus, uh, one of the students came up and told one of the, the people, they said, you know, I, I've never worshiped like that. Uh, I have seen it, you know, because now everybody can see everything, including other churches. It's like, I've seen it. I've seen people like worship, but I've never worshiped like that. And she just wanted to say thank you. Well, what is that? That's the power of environment. The environment she got in drew something out of her that she had never gotten out of her before. And your environment matters too. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, there's the story of Abraham. God blessed Abraham, used him mightily. And he comes to Abraham, and it's this guy we all know, even if you're not like a hardcore Christian, you know of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, you know, Sunday school, you know. Uh, anyway, with Abraham, God blessed this man mightily. But his origin of where he started was this. And now the Lord said to Abraham, you've got to leave your country. Uh, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, what is this? Environment. To the land that I will show you. Now watch this. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So God says, I want to make you something you're not. I want to make you something you're not. But I cannot do that while you're stuck in the same environment. If you want me to make you something different, you got to leave what you're in. And if you're not willing to leave what you're in, I can't move like I want to move in your life. But if you will change your environment, I will make you who I've called you to be. Uh, and so for a lot of us, it's, it's just tweaking little stuff. For some of us, it could be tweaking big stuff, like little stuff. Uh, you want to get more out of you physically? Get in a different environment. I've started this, <laughs> this new program. Completely different environment than I've ever been in before physically. It's forced cardio. Uh, and, uh, you know, all this kind of thing. And I'm there. I know I have gotten more out of myself than I would have if I was not in this environment. Like, it's just one of those things. It's the way it is. It's, it's this environment drawing more out of me. And I was talking to somebody, you know, this week, and they were talking about the environment, and the, you know, this workout environment. They're like, I did that. I'm like, you did? They're like, yes. I'm like, what'd you think? They said, best shape I've ever been in. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like, you still do it? They're like, no. And I'm like, oh, why not? They said it was too expensive. But see, out of that, I really see what we value and if we'll pay the price, because listen to me, there's always a price to get in the right environment. And if we'll pay the price to get in the right environment, you will see change made in your life. So some of us it could be tweaking little things. 
Uh, it could be changing uh, like the desk pointed towards the, the ocean. It could be coming in the house and having a spirit of excellence. When Jesus cast uh, out uh, a demon, he called it unclean. Unclean. Um, environment matters. Uh, if it's structured, if it's organized, if it's put in place. Uh, if the, you know, that, that, that colonel uh, or the admiral, first make your bed. Talking about this principle number one for success. First make your bed. And it's like the environment of knowing you're in control of it. Something as simple as that, he said, makes a difference. And it does make a difference. If something is structured, if something is organized, if something is out of place or messy, it makes a difference. If something is spiritual, if something is, maybe you need to make big changes. My father, years ago, you've heard my, my testimony of him, he needed big changes. It wasn't like a shift to gyms. It was like a big change. He was a drug addict. His life was going down a path where his mother would cry every night because of the path he was headed on. What was it? Environment, association, and influence. There was nothing in his life that was positive. It was going downhill fast. You've heard me tell the story. She's like, I saw him bend over to get a pan out for the oven, like to get an oven pan. It was beneath the oven. I saw his pants falling off of him because he was so skinny, because he was so on drugs. And, and out of that, like, he, he gave his life to Jesus and had somebody smart enough to know that you may have changed your eternal destiny when you made a decision for Jesus, but you not, will not change your life until you change your environment, until you change your association, and until you change what influences you. So he told him, if you're serious, meet me up here tomorrow morning. And that man made my father go around all his people and say, I can't associate with you, 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 and you unless you want to come to church. But I ain't going to the club anymore. I'm not going to the party anymore. I'm not going to be there anymore. Why? Environment matters. He got him in a youth group. He got him in church. My father met my mom at a Christian bookstore. He never would have met her at a club. Uh, like all of these types of things. It matters. It matters the environment that we're in. And I want to encourage you to go on this journey to structure an environment that is excellent, to structure an environment that is um, inspiring. To structure an environment that is healing. Is the music you're listening to healing or is it destructive? Is it inspiring or, or does it reduce you? Does it maximize you or does it put you in a worse state? Does it make you angry or does it make you a dreamer? Environment matters. What, what's around you matters. Structure it where your environment gets the best out of you. When did man miss it? When he allowed something in his environment that God never intended to be there. God worked more on his environment than he did on the man, knowing that if the environment stayed good, so would the man. You've got to work on your environment. Number two, association. I'll close with this. We won't get to number three. Uh, number two, association. Association, association, association. Who you are with. Jesus said this in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter four, verse 19. He said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you. It sets up a spiritual principle that is a law for each one of us, who you follow, you are made into. Who you follow, you are made into. Um, this is huge. Uh, Jim Rohn, an, a noted success kind of teacher, I, I've listened to his materials, read some of his books uh, and articles about him. He uses this statement a lot, you've heard me say it, 
that you are the sum total of the five people you are closest to. This is why I'm always looking at my kids' friends. You are the sum total of the five people you are closest to. He said, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. He said, you find out where they're at in their health, where they're at in their marriages, where they're at in their family, where they're at in their economics, where they're at with all these things. You average their life together, you've got you. Because their standards have become your standards. Their dreams have become your dreams. Their interests have become your interests. And you'll never change your life until you change your friends. And I'm telling you, it is the absolute truth. You know what most people do? They hang around people who make them comfortable. And what I'm going to challenge you to do is to hang out with people who make you want to be a better version of you. There's some people, I'm not kidding you, there's some people when I get around them, I tend to demonstrate my worst self. And then there's some other people, when I get around them, I want to be my best self. I want to reach higher. Did you know kids pick up habits? How many of you had, had infants or have infants right now? Any of you? Island Colony, anybody? Got a, got a baby. Had a baby. Were a baby. <laughs> Do you ever notice how fast? Now, get this. Do you ever notice how fast I heard a baby? <laughs> how fast infants pick up new habits? Why? Association. Forced accountability. You will learn how to tie that shoe. You will learn how to use this bathroom. I don't care how long we got to take you and how long we got to sit on this body. You will learn. Learning new habits constantly, constantly. Learning how to read and write. Changing. They were this. Now there's something else. Why? Forced accountability. And you know what we don't want? Accountability. And if you want a new habit, you got to be like a child. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is like a child. You want to, you, you want change, you got to have some forced accountability. You know why also children change? Because children will see the, the, the generation, they don't see you, they see the generation right above them, right above them. And you know why these people become influencers in their life? It's because God made us this way, that when we see the next generation, we see who we could be, and so we reach for it. And you need some people who are like right above you in marriage, right above you financially, right above you in your health, so that when you see it, you reach for it. You're like, that's possible? It's like, yes, it's possible. Wait, you could do that? Yes, and you could do that too. Like, I started exactly where you started. Look where I am now. And all of a sudden, you're getting a little uncomfortable. You're beginning to progress. There's this story. I'll ask you to read it, and I'll close with it. Uh, Let's go over to, to 1 Samuel. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 6. It's the story of David in the, the presence of the Lord. David had gotten offended uh, with the Lord. Maybe some of you have been there. We really felt big here at the Lakeland campus, even me and Luke, that even during worship, that some of you have walked through tragedy recently. Just recently, you've had a tragedy. Maybe the same thing's true, Helen Colling or something like that, but maybe it's gotten a little offended at the Lord because of it. And it's all of us have. I was there when my father passed away, you know, other moments in my life. 
And so, you know, we typically will do what David does, and it's just like, okay, I'll leave that there. And David goes to live his life. But he comes to a place where he's like, you know what I miss? You know what I miss? The presence of the Lord. I miss being with him. And he's like, I'm going to go get it. (laughs) And it changed everything. And maybe some of you, even through this tragedy, it's like, you know what I miss? The presence of the Lord. And I'm going to go get it back. And so David does, and when he gets it, he acts like he's got it. And he's passionate about it. He's excited about it. And watch what happens here in 2 Samuel 6, verse 13. And so it was that the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, and David sacrificed an ox and a fatling. That's a lot of sacrifice. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, that, that is important. What does that mean? He had taken off the garment of a king, and he had put on the garment of a worshiper. And, and here he is. He's not wanting to be identified as a king. He's wanting to be identified as someone who loves the Lord, which is the beauty of church. Is Outside of church, people know you by your position. In church, they should only know us as worshipers. And we, we come to this moment, and, and David and all the house, so everybody, were bringing up the ark of the Lord and shouting at the sound of a trumpet. Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, we'll come back to that, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. But when David returned to bless his own household, verse 20, When David returned to bless his own household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, this is sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. I love the Bible because it's so honest and real. And you're about to see like a couple in desperate need of marriage counseling. Uh, But it's it's like you're going to see sarcasm and you're going to see him cut back and like get personal and talk about her daddy. Like it's amazing. You should read your Bible. Uh, So right here, she says, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. Sarcasm. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants and maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So now you're going to see David's rebuttal. David said to her, it was before the Lord, and this is where he gets personal, who chose me above your daddy. (laughs) And above, this is great, and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will be more lightly esteemed than this. Watch this next phrase. And will be humble in my own eyes. Pride takes the credit. Humility gives thanks. But with the maids of whom you've spoken, (laughs) David, with them I will be distinguished. Now watch this. The daughter of Saul had no child to the day of her death. What does that mean? It's, It's natural, but it's spiritual. She was unable to produce what she wanted talking about how to change. Here you have someone unable to produce what they wanted. And some of us, you know, we want different things financially. We want different things spiritually. We want different things relationally. It's like, but I'm unable to produce what I want. Pay attention to this story. You see the power of environment, association, and influence. The daughter of Saul. Why is she this way? Why why is she acting this way? She is her daddy's daughter. 
And what she grew up in, the environment she grew up in, the association she had with her father, and the influence she received from that environment association impacted her. And in her house, they did not worship that way. In her house, they didn't live that way. Um, Literally, the Ark of the Covenant, this thing that David is bringing in, which was the presence of God, it literally sat in a field under Saul's reign. The Philistines had dropped it off in a field. They inquired not of it in the days of Saul, meaning they just left it there. And when David is king, his first act as king is to bring this ark back. Literally, his first act is, we need the presence of God in this home, in this nation, and I'll fight to bring it in. And so she did not have that same value system because of the household she grew up in. Question to all the parents, does the way I parent matter? Yes, because the environment that I set up in my home the associations I allow in my home and the influence that I have in my home is being passed to my children. And so here you've got a, a lady that has to unlearn so much, and maybe that's exactly where you are. Like so much in your life, you're having to unlearn what to do financially because your environment, association, and influence taught you all the wrong things. You're having to unlearn what you, what you do in marriage. You've never seen a good one. You don't know what a functional relationship looks like. you got everybody telling you to be a man. You've never seen a real godly one. You don't even know where to start. Uh, so we have all these expectations for ourselves, but it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so there's so much that I learned from my association, influence, and environment that has made me who I am. But here's what you have to see. It's the same thing she missed. If she sees somebody, she sees somebody whose passion is confronting her lack of passion. And she's seeing a different way of living, a way that is producing and a way that is working. This way of living took a shepherd and made him a king. This way of living took a man that everyone else forgot about and put him at the forefront of everything. This way of living took a young boy who couldn't even wear a king's armor and made him kill a giant. Like, you ought to look at like, okay, what is their lifestyle producing? Do I want that type of lifestyle? Let me open myself up to it. Like, if it's killing giants, being promoted, walking with the Lord, cranking out psalms of worship, like all these types of things, let me listen to the way you live your life. But how many times do you have people's passion confront your lack of passion? There, has this ever happened to you? People are producing results financially. Uh, or people are, oh, let's make it even more personal. People are producing results physically. And it's like, you should check out my workout. Look at how many calories I burn. It's like, shut up. Like dancing in the streets. Like, I don't even want to hear it. We become like critics. It's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see you post that on social media, how many calories you burn. Like all that type of stuff. And we just sit there and we kind of look at their results and we see all that kind of stuff. And it's like, no. Their, their passion confronts our lack of passion. And, and we see it, and it's like, stop talking to me about that diet, or stop talking to me about that. And it's like, I don't care you lost 10 pounds. Like, all that type of stuff. And their passion is confronting our lack of passion. And what do we do? We lean away. We'll see this financially. Of like, let me get around people who, when I'm around them, their, their financial state comforts me. <laughs> Instead of, like, getting around other people, and it's like, oh, you handle money that way? Like you, you invest, I don't even know where to start to invest. Why? Because you hang around people who don't know where to start to invest. You need to get around people who know how to manage money. Jesus said the children of the world concerning money are wiser than the children of God. It should not be that way. 
like you got to get around people who know what to do in marriage, who know how to treat a woman, who know how to raise children. Get around people who have done that. Fellowship with them. Well, it makes me uncomfortable. Good. Because it's only when you get uncomfortable that you grow. Stop being around people who make you comfortable. Stop being around people who constantly allow you to demonstrate your worst self. You should be around some people that they look at you, and when they look at you, you get a little uncomfortable. Because what was, what was at the end of the day, Saul's daughter uncomfortable with? Insecurity. She's like, they're looking at you like this, and David is like, I don't care how they look at me, because security does not care how people see it. And I want to encourage you, get around some people who are fighting to take their life forward, fighting to see every area of their life improved. I'll leave you with this. It's, it's a quote uh, that I read at a Sunday night service. I can't wait for Sunday night tonight. Um, but it's by Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if they fell, at least fells while daring greatly, so that their place will never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. He describes two types of people. You see it play out here in 2 Samuel 6. He sees somebody who's in the arena, Someone who is fighting to get in God's presence. Someone who is fighting to take the nation forward. They've got drive in them to become a person who wants to be all that they could be. And then you see the critic. The person who's not in the arena. And all they're doing is watching someone else live their life and critiquing them. Of like, they should have done it this way and they need to stop doing that. And they should start doing this. And like, why are they all out in the street? And like, look at them and look at this. The critic. And I love this because it's like, it's not the critic who counts. It's like, you want to get around people who are not watching other people live life? You want to get around some people who are living life. You want to get around some people who are in the arena. It's like, I'm not where I want to be physically, but at least I'm fighting to get where I know I can be. And I may not even be where I am in my career, but I'm just taking some dead-end job. Like, I am trying to do something that makes a difference for my family and makes a difference for my community. Like, I'm not content with this. I want to fight. I want to get in the arena. Like, I'm not content with the way my Christianity is. I want to know him. And if I got to leave something to get to him, I will leave something to get to him. I want to know him. You want to get around some people who, like, in their marriage, it's like, well, man, y'all been married 20 years. It's like, yeah, we have, but you know what? We're trying to make this thing better. Like, we're exploring how to get better. Like, we're talking about how to have more romance and have more adventure. Get around people like that. Be a person like that. Why? Because the critic always has a cold and a timid soul. So busy critiquing other people's lives, they're not living one. But when you come to this place where it's like, you know what I want? 
I want to drop my shepherding and my sheep like Moses, and I want to go back to Egypt. And I want to stand up with other people who want to be free and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we will be all that God created us to be. And if you'll go to work on your environment, you go to work on your association, you'll see God go to work on you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here at all of our campuses. And Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are doing in our midst what only you can do. And Father, I thank you right now. This is a year of transformation. This is a year by your grace we change. This is a year by your grace our families change, our marriages change, our sons and our daughters change. Father, this is a year where you are getting us into running shape spiritually, mentally, physically, financially. Father, this is a year where we see ourselves make tremendous amounts of progress. And Father, I just thank you that it is a new day and that this will be the brightest day any of us have ever walked in before. Father, we thank you the things that we used to struggle with in the past will be things that fall by the wayside by your mighty power and by your great grace. Father, we thank you strongholds cannot stay here any longer. Disappointments cannot be here any longer. Dysfunction will not be tolerated any longer. But Father, by your grace, we will see these things change. By your grace, we will see these things melt away. Father, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet.